Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. When you think truffles, do you think of balls of chocolate? And if, if these truffles were dangerous... Would be eating too many of them be the danger? But there are different dangers and different truffles involved in Sunny Overin's book, The Dangers of Truffle Hunting. Well, welcome, Sunny. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Describe the truffles in the title of your book. Uh, the truffles in the book um, come from where my protagonist was raised in the Yarra Valley and there's a truffle grove there that her father has just put in and is very excited to do the first harvest of, of these um, beautiful black truffles from the well, neighbouring orchard. Well, for those who don't know, like, you know, I've, I've only recently learned about truffles. How do truffles grow? They grow under the ground beneath hazelnuts and oaks most commonly. Um, and there's like a spore that attaches to the roots and... Um, they grow like a fungi, basically, underneath the ground. So a big black... Black bulbous. <laughs> yes, they're, they're, they're hideous looking, like but beautiful as well. They don't look like a chocolate truffle, that's for sure. <laughs> well, they do, like a lot of chocolate truffles sort of moulded together into a big ugly clump of black and then you cut through them and they're all sort of veiny inside and they smell amazing. <laughs> smell amazing. You should have seen Sunny's eyes light up on the description there. Um pigs root for truffles? Yeah, traditionally um, they used pigs um, because they, they emit, uh, I think, a hormone, um, the truffles, that the pigs are um, attracted to because I think it's a mating, similar to the pig's mating hormone. But I think a lot of um, truffle um, hunters have had their fingers nipped off by hungry pigs. Oh. So <laughs> I think dogs are the new, are the new um, assistant and, to truffle and hunters. And there's a... A dog type called a legotto. Yeah, legotto. They're the ones that are trained mainly yeah, in Europe that they use. Um, but I know where I've been. In the, I went to the Mornington Peninsula a truffle farm down there and they just had a rescue dog, I believe, that they trained to um, get truffles. So, yeah, I think it can be any well-behaved, trainable dog. And, and yeah. that way the dog would sort of sniff it out and sort of good yeah, doggy, give, yeah, him give, give him a and treat it, and yeah, not your yeah. finger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, in... Um, it, 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 there's is there usually companion planting for truffle off oh, of hazelnut trees next to apple trees. Is that something that that all oh, that's oh. bit of your imagination going on there? Yeah, that was more my imagination and just more beauty over anything. Okay, <laughs> um, I know there are a lot of um, you know specifications, and there has to be a slight incline, very slight incline, and so that there's a bit of drainage in the soil. It can't get too boggy. Um, but yes, in terms of the uh, apple orchards in the book, um, they're not necessary for truffle growth, oh, but it's just a right. bit of a beautiful Well, thing. a lot of my knowledge about truffles does come from France, but you've mm. said that really this is based, this whole book, The danger of uh, Dangers of Truffle Hunting, is based, well, where? It's in the Yarra Valley, a big part of it, and in Melbourne, in uh, some of it in Fitzroy right here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I recognise some of the, uh, <laughs> the, the little descriptions of yeah, around, the, around here. Yeah, mm. yep. um, 
The Yarra Valley, of course, not so well known for truffles, but definitely for wine. Mm, yes. Yeah, well, there is one truffle producer now there, which is amazing. I think they actually claim to have produced the biggest truffle in the world oh my last goodness. year. I think it was like, I might be, it was like massive. It was like kilos, kilos, this truffle, which is huge. But um, so there is a bit of a truffle scene now in the valley. But yes, wine has obviously always been... Um, yeah, the valley's always been quite famous for wine. And, and one before we get off the truffles, yeah. you know, they're also called black gold. Yes. Why is that? Um, because they're so expensive. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it is a good, you know, sort of way to, because vineyards quite often are more hobbies rather yes. than, uh, yeah. you know, working out financially successful. So um, truffles would be a very good thing yeah. to supplement. I think they often oh. say you'll know the truffle farm by the no sign but just huge fences going around. <laughs> <laughs> Probably electrified. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're in the vineyard yeah. in the Yarra Valley. Mm. Now, this vineyard's been in the same family for three generations, mm. but there was a bit of a problem back there, and it could have been over a female, but we just don't know. Yeah. Yes, yes, the, there was a feud between the Arenbergs, which are the previous partners of the Gossards, which is the family who have migrated uh, to... Australia. Um, and that feud sort of carries obviously quite strongly mm. through the book. Because this family that we're following now, the Gossards, they want to keep the cedar business particularly under wraps. Yes, they do. Yes, they want this, uh, the cedar, the cider. What am I saying? Yeah, the cider. I thought you were sort of, yeah, more the French, French, the cidre. Yeah. Oh, but the. Wish I was. Yeah. Um, yes, the cider is obviously. Uh, they're trying to break away from this sort of, uh, they're quite parallel to this other rival company, so they're trying to break away with a new product, which is which is all under wraps and based on an old family heirloom recipe, so it's all a bit delicious and, and secret. And where they have their um, cider um, vintage area, yes. I just love that because <laughs> I, the only time I've ever seen a disused rail tunnel was in Yay. Oh, is that the one you were thinking of? It wasn't actually. There's one. There is actually an old rail that goes through the Yarra Valley. I don't know oh. if that connects to Yay. May it may, but um, I know it goes through Hillsville, Yarra Glen, and connects eventually to Lilydale. Um, and it does go through a lot of those beautiful um, vineyard properties. And so that's actually quite factual. And I don't know if that rail tunnel, if there is that really exists, but I had seen a beautiful photo of a rail tunnel in, as I described it, which was. Um, yeah, you know, goes under the mossy, the mm. mossy uh, underpass, and and I thought, oh, and obviously it's a perfect conditions. If it's an old sealed off space, it's really good conditions, dark and quiet. Well, for, um, I've got to say, this is this is how Sunny does right. She actually sort of sets up the picture, and and we've done a lot of talk now about the setting without actually getting into the characters, <laughs> because it is it is a very picturesque setting that you've given us. So we better get on to the Gossard family now. Yeah. Now they're the they're the winery makers, and there's Connor and his wife Annalise. Well, how would you best describe Annalise? Um, she's a difficult woman, and she's uh, probably underneath quite insecure, but she's also very bossy and controlling. Um, thinks she knows best, likes to keep her children in check, and 
under her thumb at most times, and um, she's probably also quite a snob, which adds Absolutely. to her um, yeah, character. Oh, very class-minded. <laughs> very very uh, keen to keep her children, as you say, we'll talk about those next, yeah. away from fraternising with the other staff, <laughs> yes. very below them. Now, yeah. and, of, and, of course, Mark. Well, he's pretty randy. That's about the best way to <laughs> talk about he Mark. He is, yes, Mark. Yes, that's the protagonist's brother. Yes, Mark. So he yeah. he's been on with every uh, yeah he enjoys female he enjoys women <laughs> he does, and um, of course he's working at the winery with his father. And then there's Kit. What does Kit do? Kit is a photographer. She's a food photographer, which obviously works in quite well with her family history. Um, she's got that real creative um, bent, and um, she begins working for a um, food magazine. Um, in the beginning of the book, which sort of um, starts to shift her feelings about the direction her life is going. Mm. Mm. We all, everybody who's on face or has a camera takes food photos. So how does Kit take her photos so differently that she can actually make a living out of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it is about probably, you know, realistically it's about technique and having the right equipment and you, know, you can really get a beautiful photo with great equipment. But I think for Kit, um, it's probably the passion that she has for food and her own uh, internal passion that probably draws out um, what she sees in the food is that really dark, moody, lush uh, sexiness that she brings out in her photos. But this isn't what the photos that her, her um, the, the magazine want from her. No, that's exactly right. Yes, the magazine want the opposite. They the want sterile, yes, clean clinical, photos. Yes, yes, they want very clean, white background photos. And in the beginning, Kit, you know, thinks she's happy to um, conform to that um, palette but she finds herself less and less able to as time goes So on. how does she release her creativity? I think it, it starts to come out in a number of ways. In her personal life, she starts to feel quite constrained um, and she starts to take photos of things around her, people, potentially a, a man, and uh, other things in the vineyard um, trying to sort of unleash and, and Find her own. Um. So she takes the very sterile book uh, photos for Hampa, mm. but she also has a digital site called Hunger. Yes, of course. <laughs> That's how it does manifest. <laughs> She's also got a best friend, Pippa, who works for um, Hampa, the mm. magazine. And look, I was really surprised. I'm here, I'm going to put Sunny uh, over and on the spot, all right? Mm. I was really surprised that these two educated, you know, sort of late 20s women would chat together with so many swear words. <laughs> Maybe I've lost touch with dialogue, but was there any discussion about writing out a few of these F words? No, there actually was never broached. And I must say, it is quite true to life. Um, to real life, <laughs> I mean, not every, not not all people, but most. I mean, if you look at probably most millennial, sort of gritty or real millennial programs like Girls or whatever, mm. there are a lot of f words. I think it's uh, I think it's kind of 
it is a big part of the vocabulary now, I think, especially when you're talking passionately or you're angry or, you know, you're trying to express yourself. I do think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Well, that's Sorry, all right. Jen. That's okay. <laughs> you know, they do pedicures together. They do yoga and they do a lot of F words together. Anyway, quote from the beginning from Mae West. Marriage is a fine institution, but I'm not ready for an institution. So at this stage, I think we better introduce Scott. Mm, yes, Kit's, Kit's fiancé, Scott, is a uh, furniture designer in Melbourne. He's quite um, high up in his field and he's very uh, obsessive and finickety, but also very talented. Um, and Kit's you know, been very drawn to him and um, really appreciates his creative guidance. Um, but yes, there is an impending wedding and uh, as time goes on, she's... Not sure about how she feels about that. Mm. Ah, earthly hunger. That's mm. what she's after. And into this, the stranger knelt. Kit smelled sweat, dirt, timber and vineyard. And she found the man watching with an expression of complexity. Who's this? Oh, this is wrath. <sighs> A man who knows how to fix a car and make pastry. (laughs) Oh, wow, yeah, that is the ultimate. (laughs) (laughs) Now, lust was acceptable, but love wasn't. (laughs) Now, in contrast to Raph, we have... um, Scott, as you said, he was designing a stool. And just this little bit from page 51. Now, this is Scott, you know, with his stool and... uh... Yeah, so this is a little bit from the book. Kit sat down on a stool and, predictably, Scott changed his mind about wanting to see her on it, despite design being generally for use by people. People were a designer's, designer's ugliest inconvenience, so the less there was to them, the better. Kit's per- person was curvaceous and distracting, the last thing a designer wanted anywhere near their independent masterpiece. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they could be looking at Kit rather yeah. than... So we know she's rather gorgeous. But a little bit more of uh, Scott from page 50, uh, 66. And this is Scott's idea of what the wedding would be like. Mm. At the right time of year, this would be a standout venue, he says, You know, speaking of the uh, vineyard setting. Then, as if to himself... Strategic guests, brilliant photographer, my designs, part of the decor. We get the photos and the design publications. He turned to Kit. People love VIP, a VIP view into artists' lives, especially when they look this good. Make the whole wedding investment worthwhile. The wedding investment. <laughs> you do get this feeling about Scott that, you know, he doesn't have that... Ah, passion. Yes, Yes, it's the passion that's missing. Through this book, The Dangers of Truffle Hunting, there are many plot surprises that keep Kit, Scott and Raph all apart. So how difficult was it to write? Did you have to sort of write it with the plots in place? Yes, I did. And actually, the first draft went down quite quickly so probably within a few months and then after that it was really about there probably was about six seven eight drafts almost until it was finished and that probably was a big part of it was really getting those 
plot threads, you know, really working. And so I think more in the beginning, you know, it sort of starts as a passion project for me and getting all the the meat out, which is all the protagonist's issues and, and all that, and then really fleshing it out in terms of how it's going to work structurally. Yeah, mm. so, so that took, took more time. That's probably the bit I... I enjoy less, I guess, as a writer. Is that but that's, sort of technical? Is that where the side? editor come, came in yeah, and sort of basically yes. said, no, you've got to have a bit more movement here, less there, and everything? Because that's, you know, you, when you read the book, it was really well edited in that um, way that you, you oh, it's going to happen. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. the, the most, un, you know, you, quite credible, but yes. um, well designed, you know, sort of uh, little climax. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. And of course, the research that went into the book, you know, there's the wineries in Yarra, Yarra Valley. Mm, yes. Yeah, well, I grew up in the Yarra Valley, so it was, but it probably, I must say, when I was growing up there, it wasn't quite as much of a tourist destination as it is now. So it's quite nice, though, but knowing everything, obviously, where it is. And, and so it had that real, yeah, that, that really came from my heart, a lot of that. And I had done a trip through um, Europe uh, not long before that, but I didn't know at the time that it would be part, it would form part of the book. So it wasn't actually research at the time. I was just having a lot of fun at the time. And then obviously it did make its way. A lot of the you know, French sort of countryside did make its way mm. into the book as well. So, yeah, in terms of research, I didn't really sit down and um, think this is what I need to research. It was more a... Um, coming out of what I'd done before. So you didn't go to a French cooking school? I didn't. Oh. <laughs> well, this is, this is a bit about the French cooking school and it's Rose's French cooking school. The skill, character, knowledge, provisions and hospitality of its host had made it a school on every foodie's bucket list. Oh, I want it to go there. Yes, I know. I want to go there too. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, well... You even give us the chicken stock recipe in here and you didn't go to the the school. Yes. No, I am very into food myself, though. And actually, at the time of writing this book, would you believe I was converting from 28 years of being a vegetarian into starting to eat some meat. And part of that was it was for health reasons and I was making bone broths and whatnot and I was learning to make bone broths and, and all this. So it sort of was coming out this sort of really pagan meaty thing was coming out in the book i think oh wow. <laughs> so it was quite interesting that's, and, that's yeah and you'll have to read the book to find out why you have why you are meant to use a wicker basket when you go mushrooming yes yeah mm. we won't say why now of course <laughs> this is this is a book written by a, a young techno savvy person so we have to have a digital side to it and uh when kit tags a photo in her hunger site it gives mm. others access to that site. Mm. And food pornography is a term that uh, came out of that site. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I think we are a bit food. With, with all the digital picture sharing nowadays, we are a bit food fetish, just, mm. aren't we? Like it's quite, it's become, yeah, I mean, it's obviously not all about sexiness but it is a lot of the time it's about look what I'm eating and it's all yeah very lush and we everyone makes a big effort to show off what they're eating um but this particularly is yeah kids you know um digital magazine hunger is a uh, very particularly passion filled um but yes the tagging of um images does yes lead googlers to to mm, different to, to and to see her site yeah also, the food blogs, and we have the despicable Jimmy, yes, <laughs> who was always angling for stories. 
Yes, yes. He's sort of um, uh, sort of the dog on the heels, I guess, of, of Kit and her family trying to get information. And, um, yeah, that creates quite a bit of tension in that they're trying to conceal um, what they're doing in terms of the business and the cider making from their competitors. Uh, so, yes, they were constantly trying to avoid him chasing, chasing, mm, him. chasing the story. Mm. You write very warmly about siblings. Mm. How about we have a little, little right from the beginning, page one. Give yes. us a bit about the siblings. This is Mark and Kit. Mm. Very close in age, late 20s. Yeah. Kitty, kitty, cat. The call came from behind and her brother threw Kit into a soft flannel hug before she turned around. Marky Mark. Where's Fifi? I thought he was coming. Mark had taken to calling Scott Fifi since the engagement. It had begun as a bastardisation of fiancé and because Scott had been irked by the emasculating tone, Mark continued to use it. Oh, I know. Oh, look, that that, that terrible... (laughs) He was like that. But, um, of course, Kit's mum really does like Scott and yes. she's pushing desperately but maybe in the wrong way let's let's have a read uh, read of um that bit about uh Annalise who um oh, saw that Scott was everything that she thought would make a good son-in-law mm. oh stop Scott Annalise laughed verged on flirtatious not everyone has your refined urban taste. My son uses his hand, you use your brain. After 30 years with Annalise as a mother, Kit was still unsure of how conscious the woman was of what she said. As she'd aged, Annalise's insensitivity had worsened, as if retaining a sense of self meant shredding everyone else's. She also seemed to think that being critical gave her an air of intelligence, so she delighted in the shortcomings of others, actual or invented. Kit didn't know if this comment was meant to flatter or offend Mark, Scott or both. But she knew it belittled them equally. Mark was highly intelligent and Scott liked to think he used his hands. Mm, yeah. It's, this is um, The Dangers of Truffle Hunting by Sunny Overend. It's a sexy story of love and food. And will passion outweigh simmering discontent? <laughs> now, Sunny, your own background. <clears throat> Graphic design, mm. on, online fashion store, <laughs> and now author. <laughs> I know. It's a little bit of jumping around, isn't it? Well, the, the common theme is creativity, I guess, and that's what I'm. my passion is. But, yeah, it's interesting. I, I did write a bit growing up, and I also did some acting, and I remember saying when I was quite little, I'm either going to be a graphic designer or an actor and I got into both of those at uni and I went into graphic design I actually loved that and it led me to uh, creative advertising which I guess is more of the storytelling component of design which mm-hmm. is you know very that's what advertising is it's basically mini storytelling but I wasn't really into the whole sort of I guess the commercial side of advertising and I just happened to start up my own um, just as a, unexpectedly my own little store where I'd started selling vintage clothes and that sort of grew um, but then in the, when I was in the middle of doing that, I started reading a book at the beach one holiday and I was just totally absorbed. I loved it. I was just thinking, this is so fun. And when I came out of I hadn't sat down and read a really fun escapist book for a long time. And I thought, I feel so transported and wonderful right now. And I'm going to, when I get home, I want to see what it's like writing my own and living in that space 
all the time. And so I had, I had zero expectations, you know, on myself and didn't really tell anyone. But once I started writing, yeah, it was it was love. And I thought, oh, gosh, now, I'm here I'm stuck now. Just your keep going. first book you self-published? Was yes, that March? Yes, March. Was, yeah. that, was that kind of a, a book in the same vein as this one? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely was. It's... It's the sort of same creative female protagonist and her sort of issues going through different but, but similar, but it was more in the fashion fashion world, which is where I was at the time of writing it. Um, and that was, yeah, a really interesting journey. I'd actually been pick up, picked up by Lynn Tranter, a literary agent in Australia who's wonderful, but we didn't have – we got some sort of near, near publishing moments but didn't make it and then – um, toward the end, she sort of suggested, you know, an e-book. Um, and being that I had my design background, I thought, oh, I think I can do this, my, do this myself. So I thought I'd have a go, and it was a massive learning curve. It was really interesting. So yeah. you, you actually you didn't self-publish in a hard copy. You, you, it was an e-book. No, I did do a hard copy as well. And my reason, I did both e-book and hard copy. Um, and I think I thought to myself, well, you know, I know that, e-books in publishing houses don't really get a lot of love and attention you know they don't get a lot of promotion mm. so I thought well yeah, I might as well do it myself and you know reap more of the rewards I suppose um which was fascinating because yes I'm going through the whole editorial process and the cover design and I typeset the whole book myself and so I really know the ins and outs of publishing now before I really cracked into it with a real publishing house HarperCollins now um so yeah it was an interesting journey it was really challenging as well and I see how brilliant it is now having a huge team doing all of that other stuff for you (laughs) well of course that's one of the hardest things isn't it marketing and a self-published yeah that's it the marketing is the biggest thing and also even getting into stores because you realize that so so one of the biggest reasons people pick up a book is just because it's sitting there on the shelf. Mm. And because I didn't have a distributor previously, um, I just, I, yeah, I realised, I was like, this is going to be tough actually without mm. it being in stores. Um, so it but was then again, you know, you get mm. so much more back on uh, a self-published book you when, do. when you're selling it. Yeah, you know, that's it, that's, you do, yeah. I think it's only sort of 5 to 10% you get back on, on a Yeah, so I think it's yeah, about 10%, so, yeah, it's not much, whereas no. I think it might be $3, I suppose that works out as, but... For a self-published, it's more like seven or seven or eight. Yeah. But I still think, yeah, I mean, there are publishing uh, self-publishing success now, Sunny, stories. But, um, yeah. You got a two-book deal with HarperCollins. Was that actually um, – so did you do that with the agent? Was, is that yes. something the agent did? Yeah, that was through my agent. Um, so that's what they just came back and offered for, which was really exciting. Um yeah, it was obviously really exciting, and then I was uh, yeah under the pressure of having the next book. So yeah, it's it's it was really obviously flattering though being asked oh. to they they trusted me to do another one. So yeah, it was exciting. <laughs> so what's the next one? More food, passion, or, and, yeah, and... it's similar themes. I won't give too much away yet. Oh but, no, yeah, no, no. but it's <laughs> but not it's not going to be a fun. It's not going to be a huge leap from yeah. Is it going to? Oh sorry, what is it's not going to have the same characters? No, no, oh, no, no. Good. No. I think I think we can. Yes. Yeah, no, get no, 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 no. Yeah, it's ready for 